This is your Wednesday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Lots of stuff on today's show. Andrew Kramer will join me in just a little bit to talk through that Vikings-Bears game, a film review um, predominantly focused on the offensive line and some struggles they had again. But Vikings did get the win in that game, as we talked about in the last show, 17-9. to So not all gloom and doom, but we need to Think about those offensive line struggles in the context of the upcoming game against the Rams. And Andrew will have good stuff on StarTribune.com, too, with his film review there. No review of the Vikings would be complete either without my least favorite team is my favorite team. Keith Rashad will join me in just a little bit as well to break down that game in only the way he can. We'll also get to a big-time honor for Lindsey Whale and the Gophers and Lynx legend, now the uh, head coach, of course, of the Gophers women's basketball team. But first, what did I miss? And I was struck while watching some of the Wolves game on uh, Tuesday night at Dallas. Wolves missing five players in COVID protocols. It's struck by how different leagues right now are navigating this surge in different ways and you know almost all of it caused by this new variant that is you know rippling through a lot of these leagues i mean some of the numbers are just staggering i read reading an espn.com kevin seifert story in the nfl more players tested positive for covid last week than in the first 14 weeks of the nfl season combined NBA and NHL feeling similar effects on their seasons. Obviously, the NHL on pause right now. NBA, interestingly enough, uh, that was one that I was thinking about in particular because I was reading some Adam Silver quotes. You know, they were at the forefront of shutting everything down. You know, back in March of 2020, they were the first league to shut down. Um, now you got Adam Silver saying this quote. As we look through these cases literally ripping through the country, let alone the rest of the world, I think we're finding ourselves where we sort of knew we were going to get to over the last several months, and that is this virus will not be eradicated, and we're going to have to learn to live with it. I think that's what we're experiencing in the league right now. Very different tone, and obviously vaccines have a big part of that, as does maybe some of the, the symptoms and you know lesser symptoms that the, that the new variant seems to be causing. But an interesting kind of, you know, shift in thinking from these leagues as they try to plow forward, you know, through another kind of wave of all this and just kind of change the rules as they go. Silver saying no plans right now to shut down the league doesn't see kind of what the benefit of that would be. And I, I get that because I feel like any league that shuts down for an extended period right now is going to have to stay shut down for a long time. I think they're strategically trying to think of how can we play through this instead of how could you know, what, what do we have to do to, uh, you know, how can we pause this? Because pausing could become an extended pause. Now, the NFL has tweaked a lot of its rules as well, doing more random testing for COVID now instead of weekly testing and having players self-report if they have symptoms. You can imagine that's going to cause fewer cases to be detected and uh, basically kind of a, you know, just they, they almost don't want to know if you have COVID because a lot of these players are showing up asymptomatic when they do test positive. So, We'll see what the wisdom of all this is. Obviously, there's not you know, a one-size-fits-all policy. They're still seeing some impact of all this. You know, Players still missing a lot of time. NHL um, not sending its players to the Olympics. That became uh, news on Tuesday. So it, you know, it's not just like everybody's just plowing through and putting their head in the sand, but they are trying to adapt to kind of whatever new knowledge we have. And it's just interesting to see leagues try to navigate this right now. And I'm, I'm just wondering if 
it's in the best interest of public health or if it's in the best interest of the leagues right now in what they're doing. And I'm kind of split because I do see how things are different right now, right? When we have vaccines, when you have boosters, you know, the 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 chances of this becoming, you know, something very serious become far lesser. But any chance to spread this in a wider fashion, especially with thousands of fans in these arenas, that's an issue too. So I think we're kind of in this weird balancing act right now as a country where we're not quite sure what's safe. We're not quite sure what we should be doing. And I think these leagues are kind of in the same space. And I think it'll be interesting to watch them operate and see if they are operating in the interest of health or if they're operating in the interest of themselves. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake for 24-7 gaming, fun restaurants and bars, and luxurious hotel rooms. And join Club M to bask in the rewards. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. It's film review time on Daily Delivery. Andrew Kramer joins me as always a day later this week because the Vikings played a day later on Monday night. Um, if you can call it that. I mean, I mean, they, they won the game. So, I mean, I think people are complaining a little bit too much about this game. Um, you know, it was not necessarily pleasing to the eye. The defense played well. Um, Chicago certainly went out of its way to make sure the Vikings won. Uh, the Bears are not good at all right now. Uh, that's an understatement. Um, but, you know, some of the Vikings flaws still showed up in that game, even in the midst of a victory, um, offensive line play being, you know, a big among them. Um, as you looked back at kind of what you saw, it's, it's kind of the same, it's kind of the same old story that it has been against Chicago, especially against, you know, whenever Nakeem Hicks is on the field, it, it's, it spells trouble for them. Yeah, that guy, they have no answer for him. And he's 32 years old at this point. He had been out for five weeks before this game with an ankle injury, and you wouldn't have known it. He came back and looked like an all-pro. And that's how he looks against the Vikings every single time. And I am I wonder if he almost had that this game circled on his calendar in his rehab going like, that's my target date because I know it's going to be a little bit of a soft one for me when I come back. Right. Um, He's got eight games in his career, Akeem Hicks, with at least three quarterback hits. Um, half of those have come against one team in the Minnesota Vikings. It's it's a, a run against one opponent and a, a nightmare for, for the Vikings that um, isn't too common. I mean, you get the Kenny Clarks, you get the guys in your divisions, you know, your Aaron Rodgers at other positions like quarterback, but to have one defender out of 11 constantly provide you this issue and and Mason Cole was by far, I thought, the worst lineman for the Vikings on the field. This is after the coaching staff sticks with him over Ole Udo. Um, Cole gave up, obviously, that first sack on Cousins like right away in, in uh, the first quarter. Um, and it's just one of those things where when they didn't get two, four hands on him, when they didn't get two guys on him, they didn't have a shot. And, and they couldn't run the ball at all when Akeem Hicks was on the field. The only way they did was if they told Dalvin head the opposite direction. Um, and if you look at their two touchdown drives, specifically talking about Akeem Hicks, um, the Vikings, two touchdown drives, they gained two thirds of their yards on those drives when Hicks wasn't on the field. It was the only time Wong Wu got the 19 yard run going. The only time cook got an 11 yard run going, uh, that was, they just had to wait for him to leave and then they could finally run it. That's amazing. And you know, it's, you're right. They, they, for the game, they only had like what 170 yards, something like that. Um, 
couldn't get much going in the run game. I mean, Dalvin Cook got, you know, got a few things. He was whatever yards he got were pretty well earned in that game. But you you mentioned to me a stat, and we, you know, not to be a broken record because we talked about this quite a bit last week, but it's still, you know, it's it's still uh it's still a, a bad thing for the Vikings. Kirk Cousins again, and this is pro football focus and their standards are what they are. We, you know, you, how you define pressure, what you see as pressure on Kirk cousins from, you know, rushers might be different from their standard. But again, in this game, just as he was against Pittsburgh, did not complete a pass. I was pressured according to PFF seven times four sacks, uh, actually pressured probably 11 times over seven with four sacks on those dropbacks. And that's two weeks in a row with no completions under pressure. And I don't know if this is a function of him, if this is a function of the kind of pressure that's coming, but he had been pretty good. And now all of a sudden he's not under uh, when he's facing pressure. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting to see that trend because we talked last week about that and saying like, look, when things fell apart against Pittsburgh, they had that 29-0 lead. It was because Cousins started feeling some heat and just wasn't able to, to succeed with that. Um, and sometimes was missing reads and stuff like that. And, and you saw that sporadic play carry over in Chicago, a place where historically cousins obviously doesn't play well, very few quarterbacks do. And especially Kirk doesn't, he was one in four entering this game. And now he gets his second win against Chicago, despite throwing for a career low in yardage and yeah, not a single completion while facing pressure. And that is a subjective thing. Obviously you can look at some of his completions and say, ah, I think that's pressure, but the point stands is that he's not standing in the face of a lot of this pressure and just delivering the ball downfield and giving his guys chances. I mean, there are certain ones where he's, you're just seeing him make super quick decisions. And I think that clock, especially against the bears gets going in his head a lot faster. Um, and, and you just saw it. There was one where early where he threw to Conklin deep and Conklin dove for it, had his hands on it, but Jefferson's running a similar route. And yes, there's a safety over the top, but, Jefferson's running a similar route yet shallower down the sideline on a go route where there's a window and you might want to fit it to Jefferson as opposed to Tyler Conklin. But it was a decision Kirk made because he saw the safety over the top of Jefferson and thought, I'm going to go quick, deep to Conklin here and and just try to get a quick, deep shot um, because he was not standing and letting plays develop. And there were times where he had protection and the protection was good. And he was dumping it off to CJ Ham for three yards. And, and you can't do that against Chicago because their linebackers are so good. Roquan Smith was really good. Um, Alec Ogletree was, was he, he just jumped off the screen rewatching that game. And if the Bears have two of those guys, um, that they're really hard to play against and really hard to throw underneath against. And then that's what Kirk was trying to do pretty frequently. And then, yeah, to not complete something against pressure, I decided to go back and how at least we can gain value out of looking at PFF's pressure metrics is comparing Kirk to how they judge the rest of the league. And Kirk is the only guy to have multiple games in 2021 in which he did not complete a pass uh, while pressured. And that's, that says a lot, I think right now. And and for him to do it in back-to-back weeks says a lot about how he's playing right now. And for the Vikings to win both those games is is almost as, almost (laughs) as staggering. I mean, obviously the Pittsburgh game was a different style of game that was dictated a lot by, um, you know, some early runs and just getting out to that big lead before they couldn't do anything. And obviously the bears game was more of a defensive tussle. And you, I mean, I think the narrative going in was the Vikings could have a field day against the bears if they could protect cousins because Chicago dealing with so many, you know, so much, so many COVID protocols in their secondary, they were playing a lot of 
backups, but the backups from what you saw actually played pretty well. They did. They really did. And, and this ties in. It's a good segue to talking about cousins and pressure. Cause there was a third and nine, the first play of the fourth quarter where, uh, Kirk is trying to go back to Jefferson on this in-breaking route that he yeah. had hit him on earlier in the game. Uh, but the, this time, the Bears secondary learned. They had played it off earlier and let Jefferson have the cushion underneath to, to shake him and get open. This time, you saw the, the backup replacement Bears corner come down, kind of challenge him in the middle of the field, and then deflect the pass. And Kirk stood in the face of Alec Ogletree blitzing, unblocked, and delivered that pass. That's exactly what you want to see Kirk do in that moment. It's exactly what I was saying earlier that he wasn't doing often enough. And he does it, and he puts it on target. Yet you have this backup uh, corner in a perfect position to deflect it on Justin Jefferson. Like That's the kind of thing where you just shake your head and go, wow, Like that's, that's a play you see Stephon Gilmore make. It's not a play you see a replacement corner make. And so that's... They, you have to credit them a little bit because I think that secondary in Chicago played really well, and it helps when you've got Robert Quinn, Akeem Hicks, and the guys up front, certainly. A couple more thoughts for you. One, um, you know, in rewatching, even if you weren't focusing on it specifically, I mean, what did you see from the Vikings defense? I mean, they, it was a, they hadn't allowed a touchdown until the very last play of the game. They had given up some yards but had been pretty good, especially in that red zone defense against the bears uh, were they doing anything differently or is this a function of letting the bears kind of defeat themselves sometimes yeah i think a lot of it was looking at justin fields and just being pretty unimpressed with with this offense um and, and that quarterback right now i mean it's, it's his i think 10th career start um and you could tell mike zimmer's really good against designing things scheming coverages mixing things up against rookie quarterbacks i believe he's nine and two now with the vikings against rookie quarterbacks uh, after beating Fields. And that was the big thing, right? He commits, Fields does, a couple turnovers right away, fumbles the ball away. Um, they committed, I think, a turnover on special teams as well. That helped the Vikings. Um, I just was very unimpressed. And the ball placement, him missing open guys, uh, Justin Fields, that is. Um, don't get me wrong, the Vikings defense played great. I think their defensive line was dominant. And I told you before the podcast, if this, is, this was such an ugly game to recap, but if you were a fan of defensive line play, this is exactly what you want because it was DJ Wanham, Dalvin Tomlinson, Sheldon Richardson. Those guys played phenomenal up front, and that helped. And Dalvin Tomlinson had said before the game, we need to get in Justin Fields' head early, and we think we can fluster him, and I think they did just that. I'm kind of, I was kind of shocked. Maybe I just haven't been paying attention, but they threw up a graphic during the game. The Vikings lead the NFL in sacks. Did I just miss, did I, have I just missed that? How, how are they doing that without, you know, with a lot, without a lot of, you know, Daniil Hunter lately, no Everson Griffin lately. Yeah. Our, um, I think Mark Craig actually wrote about that last week going into this game that, Sorry, Mark. Somehow, <laughs> that they had somehow managed to do that. I only bring that up because it was a good breakdown on how um, Zimmer has manufactured a lot of these pressures. You, you were seeing, I think they have five or six guys that have at least five sacks. Um, Daniel Hunter might still be the leader with six sacks and it speaks to how it's a group collective effort, whether it's in San Diego or, or excuse me, Los Angeles, where Cam I, do Bynum, all, I do that too all the time. It's they're the San Diego Chargers. No one's ever told me different where Cam Bynum's getting a sack there untouched. It's, it's stuff like that. And then you've got, um, against a rookie quarterback, it's going to be a lot, a lot easier, but a lot of it has to do with the pre-snap disguises, the pressures, the coverage looks and how they kind of make offensive linemen skew their protections one way, and then they attack from the other. And that's, that's the hallmark of a Mike Zimmer defense. It's why they 
hound on run defense so much because they know if we can get these guys in third and long, they got good coaching on the back end to, to mix things up, and that helps them create this pass rush. And credit the players. Sheldon Richardson is moving to defensive end and playing phenomenally right now. That has helped make up for the loss of Everson Griffin. Um, nothing makes up for not having Daniil Hunter, but you're seeing these guys now that they're healthy and available for the most part uh, also playing well up front. Final thought, um, you know, we've seen Cousins under pressure the last two weeks. We've seen what Akeem Hicks did to them in this game and previous games. Next three games, assuming good health and everything like that, is going to be Aaron Donald, Kenny Clark, and Akeem Hicks again. Can they do enough to disrupt those guys given past evidence, and can they do enough within that to win at least a couple of those games and give themselves a chance to get into the postseason? Yeah, I'm wondering if, if they had problems throwing and, and blocking against Akeem Hicks and then Kendall Vildor and Tease Tabor and, and some of these other guys that were in the back end for Chicago. I don't know how it's going to look against uh, Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald and Von Miller, who was just cleared from the COVID list for tonight's game for, for Los Angeles. Um, yeah, it, it's going to be tough. I, I don't know. I, I think this is an even worse matchup for them. At least they're at home against the Rams. Because Von Miller is better than Akeem Hicks. He's different. He's very different, but he's better. He's much more of a disruptive pass rusher, more consistent, uh, and much more of a torment. And so I don't know how they're going to be able to do that. They're going to have to find ways to get the ball out on the edges, hope that Von Miller's as washed as people kind of are trying to say he is right now, and, and maybe they can beat him that way. But, um, it's yeah, it's not going to get easier. And, frankly, they need Kirk to play a lot better. They're going to need him to complete a pass. I can say this confidently. They will need him to complete a pass under pressure on Sunday. I didn't think they could lose. I didn't think they could win one bad Kirk game this year, let alone two that they absolutely needed to get back into the playoff picture. But Andrew, here we are. (laughs) Here we are. Just, just when you think they're done, they pull you back in. They do. Well, thanks, Andrew. We'll catch you again next week. (laughs) Thanks, Mike. I know Andrew and I talked about it quite a bit, but I'm still like just shook by that stat that Kirk Cousins went two consecutive weeks without completing a pass while pressured. That just flies in the face of what he was doing earlier in the season. And I don't know if it's a regression, if it's a blip on the radar or what, but it is going to be kind of, it's going to tell the story of the rest of this season in my book. My least favorite team is my favorite team. We're back at it again a day later than usual because the Vikings played a day later than usual. Did they play is a subject for debate. They won a game. Technically it was not aesthetically pleasing. Did not, um, did not catch the eye in a certain way that made you want to romanticize the game of football, but Keith Rashad will nonetheless try. Um, Keith, how you doing? I am a Vikings fan staring the, the bleak, holidays in the face knowing full well what's coming with this idiot team and i just want this year to end in so many ways the, wow. the calendar year the 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 football season can we just be over with all of it well i mean eventually yes but we do need to talk about the 17 to 9 victory over the bears um I wonder if I'd feel slightly differently about it if the Bears, if you just weren't staring at the 17-9. If it was 17-3, which it probably easily could have been if the Bears not hadn't scored that garbage touchdown in the final play of the game, maybe I would judge this slightly differently. But it was, it was to me, one of those games where, if not for the Bears, 
<clears throat> utter lack of competence. This is another game that probably would have come down to a final drive, don't you think? Well, uh, that actually speaks to the first of my four haiku well, for today. Well, I didn't even know that, but that's uh, that's good planning. Let's hear the first haiku that you have for us. Okay. <clears throat> There's a difference between trying to lose and accepting no less. <laughs> yes. I mean, I don't know how the Bears could have gift-wrapped that one any more any more delightfully. I mean, that was just the, the perfect opponent at the perfect time for a team that desperately you know, needed a win. Like, you know, for whatever we're saying about this season, the ups and downs, whatever we think about this regime, whatever we think of Kirk Cousins, the objective is still to win. All these players are still obviously for the Vikings attempting to do that. They might lack skill. Sometimes they might lack the, uh, the necessary components of victory, but they are still trying. They are still aiming themselves towards the playoffs and they could not have found a softer landing than these Chicago bears. Yeah. You know, it's it, for me, it was really the difference between wanting something and needing it from the depths of your soul, right? The Vikings wanted to lose that game. They played in such a way that they were efforting to lose that game, right? But they didn't need to lose it in the same way the bears just needed to lose it. Right. When you commit, what was it? Four personal foul, Penalties. Unsportsmanlike conduct penalty on the head coach, which is good. <laughs> the coach gets one, right? Uh, when you are still forced to play, when 50 of your 53-man roster is out on COVID, right? Uh, that is a need to lose that game. When your quarterback inexplicably takes weird sacks, just that to me was the difference in the game. Uh, the Vikings wanted to lose it. They made efforts to do so, uh, but they could not overcome the strength of will of the Chicago Bears to really, truly lose that game. Yeah, as I said on Tuesday's podcast, to me, it was just a shame that somebody had to win. It really was. It was it a shame. Really was. It, you know, some some games are like, you know, it's just a shame somebody had to lose. Both teams played really hard. You wanted to see both teams rewarded. In this case, it was just kind of a shame somebody had to win because both teams did put in some effort into losing that game. You're right. The bears wanted it more. They just wanted it more. They did. They did. And, and speaking of, of making efforts to lose, let me get to haiku number two here. Yes. You. All right. A career story in just one play on third down. Kirk tried, but was short. Which play was that? So I'm speaking specifically about a play in the third quarter where it was third down and uh, Kirk drops back to pass and recognizes that there's no receivers available, finally makes the right decision to take off and go running, and then dives for the first down, but dives in such a way to make sure that he doesn't get hurt and ends up making sure that he was short of the third down line anyway, right? So here's a guy who ultimately makes the right decision, efforts towards what he wants to do, yet still somehow manages to fail at the most critical juncture when you need to have something happen, right? That he could not uh, force himself 
to dive in a way to make sure that you get that extra three inches or yard or whatever it was. He was short of the first down marker. To what extent he had any awareness that he was short of the first down marker is a question of debate. And just sums up what the Kirk Cousins experience is like, that there is lots of good and lots of positive and things that, um, that, that you like to see. He made the right decision. He took off. He had the opportunity to succeed yet somehow figured out a way to, to fall short and to not accomplish in the way that you'd like him to accomplish, even though everything seemed to be going in the right direction for him. Well, and in very Vikings-like fashion, if I do remember that play, they initially ruled it a first down, and then the challenge flag came out from Matt Nagy, who was very upset about a lot of things last night. And <laughs> he, he was upset he, for three long hours. He, he, he seemed like, I think he spiked the challenge flag in that one. He was just just a, just a guy who's having a tough year, knows that his job is going to end in three games, I would imagine, and just was frustrated. But they they, you know, the replay pretty clearly showed that Cousins was about a half yard short. And you're right, if he had simply dove forward instead of going knee down first. <clears throat> he didn't slide. If he would have slid, he would have been a full yard short. But if he hadn't gone knee first and just actually dove and knew exactly where he needed to get, you're right. He would have had the first down and ultimately doesn't matter. But against a better opponent, like next week against the Rams, that might matter. Uh, didn't matter against the Bears because of that will to lose. But yes, you're right. That was the Kirk Cousins experience in one play. Right. The guy turtled up, right? He turtled up. He wanted to make sure that he did not get hit. He went head first. I don't know if he turtled up. If he was, if he was really going full on safety mode, I think he would have slid and that would have been even more embarrassing. Well, but uh, you know, you're right. You're right in the sense that that he knew enough that he couldn't slide, right? Uh, That he needed some more yardage than what a slide would get for him but did not have enough awareness or wherewithal to decide that he was going to make sure that he got what he needed to get to succeed in that. And it speaks to the larger issue of, you know, a second straight bad Kirk game uh, that they ended up managing um, having success in. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and, but it can't, it can't continue exactly as you just said. Right. we, we as we talked about last week, we're having the opposite of last year. Right? Last year started slowly and he heated up. This year he was on fire and now he's failing at the worst possible time for them. Man, the offensive line is not giving him much help either. It's, and it's going to be a test because, you know, for whatever the Bears' flaws are, Akeem Hicks is still a game wrecker, especially against the Vikings. And they're going to go against some dominant guys in the middle with the Rams and Aaron Donald. Green Bay with Kenny Clark, and again, the Bears at the end of the year with Hicks. I mean, even if the Bears don't have much to play for, they sure love getting after Kirk Cousins. Absolutely. Uh, and just... Uh, okay, let's hear the third one. All right. Speaks to exactly the same themes as well, too. <clears throat> Why did I watch this? I consider the whole game a personal foul. Yeah, it was personally foul. I mean, it was, you know, it was, it was a weird, it was just a weird game. I don't know what these, these primetime Vikings games always feel a little off to me. It just was a Sunday felt weird without a Vikings game. It's just two straight weeks, you know, the Thursday and now the Monday. 
And they've managed to win both the games, but both the games, I mean, I guess the, the Steelers game, they played really well for that first half. So maybe that was a little different. This one just felt kind of like both teams were kind of sleepwalking in some way. And, you know, the Vikings, I think, did play pretty well on defense, especially in the red zone, you know, taking advantage of Justin Fields and some of those mistakes he was giving them. But yeah, the offense, I think they were, damn, they didn't have over, they did not have 200 yards of offense in that game. Kirk Cousins, um, his yards less per than 100 yards passing, didn't he? Yeah, his yards per attempt are better measured in feet than yards to give him some kind of more of a more of a favorable reading in that game. It was not, it was not good, I, and I don't know if that's a function of a game plan that was not tailored to his strengths and away from the Bears' strengths because it sure didn't seem like they were able to exploit the weaknesses in the Bears' secondary um, that much in that game. Name me one thing. I mean, you kind of did. You kind of did with the the defense in the red zone. I guess that counts. But name me one play or one player or something with perhaps greater specificity that you actually liked about that game. Is there one thing that you actually enjoyed about that? You even go back to the San Francisco game uh, with the the kickoff return for a touchdown. Right. You know, there's at least the one memorable play or thing that you can like about a lot of these games. There was there's nothing. It was just ugly on both sides. And it was I'm so glad I'm so glad that I've, I've had to fall into this pattern of only watching the 45 minute condensed games of these things, because wasting any more time on what that was would have been a travesty. I guess the only the one individual play that I enjoyed, I guess, was after that hideous Cousins interception. And I think, you know, Jefferson was probably held on that play, got pulled down at the end of the first half. I enjoyed the blocked field goal because we don't see many blocked field goals these days. Dalvin Tomlinson blocking that field goal was a good momentum play. That was one. The one thing that I liked from that game was a failure on the Bears part. That's right. <laughs> Something something is sort of hideous from the and the, the Vikings team. had a punt block so you know it's not like they were spotless either it was it was just not a, a not a not a game for people who love the uh, finer points of football okay let's what would what would life had looked like had the Bears not given the Vikings three tor- turnovers yeah it's a good point because the yeah but the, the Vikings had the one but yeah if they hadn't lost their turnover battle and they had had the Bears capitalized in the red zone, maybe even taken a field goal every now and then, you know, they might have found themselves in a spot where that last drive mattered. It, it was, it was not as close as it seemed in some ways because it felt like the Vikings were in control to a certain degree. It was never, it was in the second half for the most part. They had that that two touchdown lead, but it, it did never felt, it never felt like the the Bears were serious threats but a better team sure would have been oh yes oh yes okay last one number four playoffs are in sight and yet so very distant i live with no hope yeah i mean so i mean the scenario basically is you got to win at least one of these next two and then beat the bears again and hope for some help along the way hope the saints you know lose a couple in there or you know win the tiebreakers things like that i mean i think it's i think their odds are like 30 percent right now I'd, I'd put them you know i have a i don't think the rams are great i think it just kind of depends on how they're able to manage aaron donald next week 
Um, I think they could, they can hang with the Rams. If they don't win next week, though, I don't have much faith in them going into green Bay with green Bay, having home field to play for. Um, can they win one of these next two? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say they can't, they've been up and down all year. And if they win one of these next two, I feel like they probably should beat this bad bears team again at us bank stadium. And whether that's enough to get in the playoffs is another question. Whether just getting in at nine and eight is the seven seed does much for me is a much different question too. Well, <laughs> what was it? I don't, I, you're going to have to help me. You're the one who remembers the, the details. Was it three or four years ago when a bad bears team came into Minnesota and the Vikings needed to beat that bear, bad bears team to, to uh, get into the playoffs? Right? I think it's actually been two out of uh, 2018 and 2000, even last year, I believe had the Vikings beaten the bears late in the year, they would have gotten into the playoffs at eight and eight. Uh, but I think 2018 is the year you are referencing in particular, where they just got wrecked by, again, it was the bears pass rush and their, their ability to disrupt that Vikings offensive line. They lost that game and got, got bounced from playoff contention very late in the year. Yes. So even if they win one of these next two, what sort of faith can any Vikings fan have in with the way the season is going? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't have faith. I just think this Bears team is so particularly bad and will be playing out the string that it feels a little different than even some of those other Bears teams. But you never know the Vikings are. It would be very Vikings-esque to manage to win at least one of these next two and have the playoffs in sight and then drop a game to the the Bears, a very, very bad Bears team. And, and let's not forget, uh, they, they won? I should note playoffs, playoff scenarios. A couple things came into view a little bit uh, with those two Tuesday night games. Seattle more or less removed from the picture with the Rams winning that game Tuesday. Philadelphia gets the win over Washington. They move to 7-7. Seven and seven. Washington falls to 6-8. and eight. Not not too bad for the Vikings in those outcomes. And I played around with a lot of three and four team tiebreaker scenarios in the NFC. If the Vikings get to nine and eight, um, they do pretty well in a lot of these tiebreakers with the Eagles, with the Saints, even with the 49ers, if it comes to that. Um, so not, you know, not out of the question still that they, they get in. I think we'll just have to see how the season plays out. But certainly that game Sunday against the Rams will be huge for those playoff implications. Let's finish with the cooler. Big congrats to Lindsey Whalen, eligible now for the class of 2022 in the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame, one of the candidates announced on Tuesday. A huge deal. We'll see if she is voted in one of six eligible candidates and uh, the only only player on the women's side. Obviously, her, her career speaks for itself. You know, four WNBA titles, two gold medals with Team USA, led the Lynx to like led the Gophers to the Final Four in 2004. The list goes on and on. So, congratulations to Lindsey Whalen on her eligibility, and uh, good luck to her in the final voting. That will do it for today. Good stuff coming up on Thursday's show. Chris Ottman Bell, wide receiver with the Gophers football team, joins me for a good conversation. Randy Johnson covers the Gophers. Will also join me, kind of a bowl preview as we get ready for that guaranteed rate bowl early next week that'll do it for today see you on thursday